examples he gives. Um, if you've been to my house, you know that there are bird houses in my backyard. Not because I get two flips about birds. But the people we bought our house from did. They had bird, they put bird houses in, in my backyard because of this verse. And if you ever met Karen or Angie, if you didn't talk to them, they would tell you point blank. You know, the Bible says that birds don't have refrigerators. And so whatever they get is what they get. So we put bird houses on there. People may have gone like, I don't know what their bird food budget was. But <laughs>
insidious and the most nefarious. Because the next obstacle is huge and me. So, this comes to mind as the Apostle Paul. But we're going to kill that screen for a second because I want to tell you who Paul was. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He started off as Saul, and some of the verses we're going to read were about his former life as Saul. Maybe he, he, he puts his faith in Christ on the road to Damascus. He becomes Paul later on. And then he writes most of the New Testament. Most of our theology, most of the things we know about God, come from the hand of the Apostle Paul. Really, God. It is mind-boggling the way God used him. As a matter of fact, you and I sit where we sit, and you hear the gospel preached, and you have a Bible in your lap because of the ministry of this guy. He's the one that took the gospel up out of Italy, up into Asia Minor, which eventually spread up all the way up north by benefits of the Roman Empire, and ended up crossing the Atlantic with some of your ancestors. Look how he defines his life. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, meaning this pedigree, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I have the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews who regard the law and a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Do you see how he viewed his former life? I kept all the rules. I did it all right. I did not mess up. I had a, I had a religious pedigree that was unrivaled. I was born in church. Nobody could match my pedigree. And then see how he describes that. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them trash, I consider them rubbish, so that I may gain Christ to be found in Him, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping the rules, but I have a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and, and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing and the sufferings becoming like him in his death. Let's stop right there and, and rehearse and regurgitate each you. Um, Paul says, all the stuff that I've ever done by keeping the rules was wasted. The only hope I have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not the church that I attended. Not when I was baptized. Not when I took communion. Not when I taught children downstairs. Not when I led worship, and certainly not when I preached. Nothing I ever did gave me a relationship with Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, everything, all the stuff, the physical stuff that I did, compared to the righteousness of God, is just trash. It's just rubbish. It doesn't measure up. I am firmly convinced one of the obstacles in our way to seeking God's kingdom is ourselves. It's us. Partially it's us because we think this 
himself to be an obstacle. So let's talk about the obvious. What I know is that some things are very obvious to some people and they're not to others. You'll all live that in any part of your day, any part of your life. If you've ever driven down 75 during rush hour, there are things that are obvious to you. Put your phone down. Hang up. Drive. The light is green. There are things that are obvious and some things are not. So I am going to belabor the idea of this being obvious. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. I'm going to spare you telling you the context of that because we really do need to get to this next statement. The kingdom of God is not about the eating and drinking and that kind of stuff. It's not about whether you eat pork or don't eat pork because he's talking to some Jewish people who are having a problem. But of the righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty clear. The kingdom of God is this. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in God. So he says, seek the kingdom of God first on the other side. So the joy, or or so the kingdom of God are these things. Am I showing righteousness in my life? Am I making right choices that honor God? Most of that is black and white. You did that, right? That's not correct. It's not. You're going to make it great because it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. But most of the time, you know, that I shouldn't be doing this. It's black and white. Am I seeking righteousness in my life? Am I seeking to do right? Am I sowing peace and am I joy that can only come from God? It doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from people. It doesn't come from anywhere else. But it comes from God. I think that's really obvious. Really, really obvious. John chapter 3, verse 30. One of the most famous chapters in probably all the Bible is John chapter 3. And that obviously contains John 3, 16. But Jesus talks to this very religious man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which was what Paul was before he came to faith in Christ, which was the Pharisees of the group of people that, by and large, hated Jesus. And they were constantly trying to trick him and trap him ultimately conspired with Rome to murder him. And then Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cloak of darkness. He comes at night because he doesn't want his Pharisee buddies to see him talking to Jesus. So he sneaks out to see Jesus. And a good part of John chapter 3 is their conversation. In reply to Nicodemus, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I submit to you that any possible reason why you do not see God's working or you do not see the kingdom of God showing up in your life is because you have yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what being born again means. I'm not talking about any other religious experience. I'm certainly not talking about being baptized or taking communion. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about coming to a point in life where you say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I accept that payment for myself. That's what it means to be born again. That is the only thing that it means to be born again. That is the only way to have a relationship with God in heaven. That is the only way to have your sins paid for once and for all. That is it. Period. End of story. 
so many 